Hey. 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 I got a quick cue. What's up? I had to start recording in order to ask this cue because it's V important. It's true. This is our spooky episode. Spooky Mormon held. Okay, <laughs> continue. It's V close to Halloween. Yeah. When we're recording, even closer when we drop this episode. And I see behind you, just chilling for what I'm worried is a whole year, is a couple of candy canes, the plastic ones, <laughs> full of candy. <laughs> You know, the ones you get at, like, Target in the aisle you shouldn't go in because everything's a dollar? And it's like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, isn't it? It's Hershey Kisses. Oh, Jesus. How long have those been there? Since Christmas Eve. Of? Please tell me it's at least last year. Last year. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying that seeing such a festive and wonderful thing is ruining my spoopy vibes right now. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to take another sip of whatever this drink is that you won't tell me. Listeners, Emily won't tell me what we're drinking. I told you it's the blood of your enemies. Yeah, that's not... She hands me this dark drink. What I know is that there's root beer in it, but what mm -hmm. else is in it, I'm unaware of. It's also dark as hell in here, and this looks like it could be blood. Could be. So when she hands me a drink and says, this is the blood of your enemies, I'm like, sure, why not? Absolutely. I need you to tell me what it is. This is so mean. <laughs> Everyone, Emily is so mean. <laughs> so it's a spoop app. Yeah. Um, we have no idea whose turn it is to go first if we don't count the live episode, which I hope you guys listened to that. I hope you enjoyed it. We did post it last time. Yeah. So honestly, like, I don't mind if we just go off of that one and I'll go first. Okay. Otherwise, it doesn't I, matter to me. You know, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't know what you decided to do. So I don't <laughs> know if it's like... I changed my mind about three hours ago. Nice. <laughs> cool. Well, that's super surprising for me then. I like it. Well, I'll just do this shit. I'll get through it. Mine's... I will, I will say, mine's not like crazy spooky. It is not a haunting. But like when we were thinking of doing a spooky episode and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do... This story came to my head because I learned about it in AP psychology in high school. Mm. And I think about it all the time still. Just because of some of the imagery it like calls up and how much we had to talk about it. So I'm going to tell you the story of Peter Tripp. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no, no, don't worry. Did you Mine also, also have has like, like some weird psychological ties. Ooh. Um, on. So, okay, first, before I really get into Peter our lovely survivor. I just want to talk about sleep deprivation and how it's really not good. It's, it's like so not, good, not good. It's super, super duper bad. Your brain you. needs sleep. Have you ever pulled an all-nighter? Yes. Yeah, it sucks, right? The most I've ever stayed up, I think, was like 36 hours. And by that point, you are like dead. You're yeah. like a dead person. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not good. I think if you make it past 48, you start hallucinating. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, I can't even function on less than seven hours of sleep. Sleep deprivation is so terrible on your mind and your body that it was used in World War II to torture American POWs in China. Yeah, that tracks. And then since then, it's been used by many other countries, including our own, as, as a form of torture. Because yep. like, you don't have to hurt somebody in order to make them go kind of fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, it's also... Part of like the technique used by cults to make people super susceptible to ideas and whatever they want them to think. 
So if you ever hear about a cult where it's like, well, they didn't really let them sleep and they didn't really feed them that much. There definitely wasn't any protein in their diet. It's like, these are all techniques that make people dumb. And we feed you soup. Yeah. And it's not even like chicken. It's like it's just... veggie soup. Eat your minestrone and be happy. Shut up. <laughs> so it's bad news bears. Do not try to just not sleep y'all i know that some people have insomnia and that sucks that really blows and i feel for those people that's not their fault don't try to not sleep it's not good knowing that i'm just gonna talk about this guy (laughs) i'm gonna talk about peter tripp who is either like a very brave man or a complete dumb dumb idiot i guess you can help me decide so it's 1959 Peter Tripp was a 32-year-old disc jockey in New York City. Oh. Yes. Oh. oh, oh. We didn't call them DJs so no. much back then. They were disc, disc jockeys. Jockeys. <laughs> jockeys. <laughs> jockeys. Um, that year, Peter decided to embark on a pl- publicity stunt to raise money for the March of Dimes. Well, that's never good. And the publicity stunt was that he was going to stay awake in his radio studio for 200 hours. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh um, my God. The human body is not meant to be awake that long. Yeah. In case you're wondering, 200 hours is eight days and 11 hours. Yeah. Anything past like two to three full days, you start. You're fucked. You're going. It's bad. Yup. Let's talk about that. Oh God. <laughs> Did um, he do it? I'll let you get. Okay. Spoilers. Okay. Spoilers. Okay. All right. I mean, I doubt it, but like, okay. (laughs) His studio, first off, was a glass storefront in Times Square. So like, he's being seen on three sides all the time. It's a Um, lot of glass. Right. And he was there most, for the most part, for eight days, because he didn't need to leave to sleep, obviously. Um, And he, while he was doing this, continued on with his regular radio show at the regular time. So like, I don't know how long it was, probably maybe like three hours or so. But he would he would be doing that and then also never sleeping the whole time. And then people could walk by the storefront, see him doing this. He could wave at them and they would pledge money right there outside to the March of Dimes. So it's like a decent cause, but this is all fucked how, up. How did the March of Dimes agree to let this happen? It's 1959, man. Nobody even knows oh, what yeah, happens to you when that's you're sleep yeah, deprived. Yeah. Like, first of all. I will say, he did not just do this all on him lonesome. Um, Peter and his bosses did enlist the help of two psychologists and a small team of other scientists, including doctors Harold Williams, Artie Lubin, um, Louis West, Harold Wolf, and acclaimed famous sleep specialist William Dement. Um, I don't know if he was famous before this or if this kind of launched him. I have no idea. But I feel like if this launched him, it wasn't for the right reason. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. But it is. it was all of their jobs, all of these guys, because it's 1959 and they're all men. Um, it was their job to stay by Peter's side at all times, to monitor his mental and like physical health, and also just to keep him from falling asleep. Um, reportedly, these psychologists initially tried to talk Peter out of this idea. Yeah. As soon as they got there, they were like, but really, though, we don't... This is- we don't really think it's a good idea. <laughs> this is like not good. Yeah, we don't we're not sure. My dude. <laughs> no one's ever fucking done this before, so we don't know, but we're we're pretty sure it's not good. So Peter was like, no, we're doing this. And also the scientists were like, 
this is a really good opportunity to witness firsthand the effects of sleep deprivation on the mind and body. We're going to do this. We're going to let him do it. Okay. So, like, <laughs> here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Looking back at these men mm-hmm. who have made these decisions, these these are the same caliber of men who were like, hey, let's have half of our students be prisoners and half of our students be guards uh-huh. and see what happens. We it's were, fine. We were all about really shittily mm-hmm. thought out experiments yep. for a while there. Arguably so, decades. <laughs> are, yeah, definitely decades. <laughs> Maybe centuries. Because, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that was in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. In well, California. I think, 60s or I think 70s, it, right? Yeah. When was the syphilis study? In, like, the 20s all the, the way 20s through? The 20s all syphilis? the way through, like, the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> we were fucking up this for is, a while. This is not good. No. But, so this is, I mean... You have to take everything they learned with a grain of salt. I'm sure that this didn't inform, you know, it's not a clinical study. It's not, they're not. Right, in, yeah. They're not doing this in a controlled environment. Exactly. They don't have. He's literally getting watched all the time. Yeah. So, like, his behavior is what it is. Um, but this, um, they think this helped at least to understand some part of what sleep deprivation does to you. I mean, sure. Yeah. If you're trying to spin this to find a positive in some poor decision making. Sure, yeah. I yes. mean, which is all science is really ever trying to do. Honestly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are pictures of Peter Tripp taken throughout this process. He looks happy in the beginning. He's like a he's kind of handsome, like he's got a relaxed smile going on. He seems confident and he's in his little booth. And um then, you know, it's sort of hard to tell where the pictures are taken, but over the course of the next few days, he he doesn't really look so happy. Mm-hmm. The pictures get well, first of all, he looks really fucking tired. <laughs> yeah. But not just tired. He looks nervous and mad and sullen. And it's, like, not cool to look at his face for too long. And he kept this up for eight goddamn days. So, this is what happened during those eight goddamn days and 11 hours. Holy shit. One thing that's important to note uh, is that the majority of the eight days of Peter Tripp's radio show sounded totally fine. Like, he was able to get his shit together, no matter what day it was, pretty much, talk to guests, talk to people who called in, put songs on, do that weird, you know, DJ banter that happens between all the songs to just, like, fill up space. I know our friend Steve is mad because I don't know, like, the term for that, and I'm just, like, (laughs) saying bullshit. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Steve. Um, But he was able to pull himself together each day just for that portion one to three hours, I'm guessing. Not a, not a clue. A consummate professional. But outside of the show, the other many, many hours, Peter started to deteriorate pretty quickly. Yeah. The scientists noted that Peter's body temperature was lower than it should have been within a couple of days. Yeah. And continued to decline in the following days. Yeah. Your body does some crazy shit while you sleep. Yeah, dude. I watched a video of some people talking about this. And one of the men interviewed is a scientist. And he was like, I don't know. He was one of the ones that was there. I think there were two men who were there in the video. And he said, the lower it got, the crazier Peter got. Yeah. (laughs) Which that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Peter more or less was able to keep up the happy joking attitude. He kind of had when the scientists first arrived until the second day with no sleep. (laughs) Second day, second night, you know, all the way through 48 hours or more. He started to get 
angry with mm-hmm. those around him. Mm-hmm. He he had a barber who would come in because he shaved every day. And this was a man he knew for years. And he screamed at him and swore and startled the hell out of this guy who thought he knew him really well. He's never seen Peter act this way before. And he's just getting really annoyed. He's He's got a temper like that with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, though, if I constantly wanted a nap and, like, a bunch of scientists wouldn't let me have one, I'd get pretty surly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, yeah, fuck you guys. Seriously? Fuck you guys. Well, and I mean, just think about, like, if you don't get enough sleep, how irritable you already yes. are. So you take that and you multiply it by, by a thousand. Yes. I know, that's... like, by the time I was ready to go to bed... I was a fucking emotional mess. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, just think, like, you pulled an all-nighter for a class or something, and then by the time you get to the test, you're like, why did I do that? I fucking, I'm an emotional wreck. I can't yeah. do this. Like, I would go from, like, laughing fits mm-hmm. to crying. Yeah. For no reason. Right. And that's just, like, a night. Maybe, yeah. maybe more, like, 36 to 48 yeah. hours. That's a lot already. A full night plus class the next day. Right. I don't remember anything from class the next day. Oh, I sure. remember going to music theory. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on Adderall the one time I did that. So uh, I felt okay for a while. There. Yeah. I really I did get through that test and then I crushed. Yeah. Real hard. But so yeah, what Peter's going through is like something we don't even understand. And yet like you can kind of understand where he's coming from. You can yeah. approach the idea of yeah. how he must feel. Yep. So these scientists, not only did they never let him nap. Um, they also would accompany Peter to the bathroom <laughs> to ensure that he wouldn't fall asleep while sitting on the toilet. I mean, that's fair. So this was really fun for Peter all around. Sometimes pooping makes you sleepy. Yeah. Well, and also when it gets to be like four or five days in, he's going to fall asleep any old time. Yeah. You literally have to snap in his face like yeah. every 20 seconds. <laughs> he started playing games with them early on where he'd, he'd talk to the scientists and he'd be like, hey, look over there. <laughs> and then he would close his eyes. <laughs> and just like try to do the fastest cat nap of all time <laughs> and they were like nah P- uh, peter come on oh, peter and after a while they just stopped listening to him altogether and they had to be really really vigilant so um while they're doing this especially in the early days uh scientists tested peter often they had psych tests as well as uh memory tests comprehension tests math problems um and within those first few days Peter lost the ability to answer simple math questions. He lost the ability to recite the alphabet. Oh, shit. Um, his attention span dipped so low. He had no attention for anything. He forgot the simplest things. By 100 hours without sleep, the tests were like torture for him. Like he would get so upset with himself because he's like a person who is all his mental facu- faculties should be there. He's 32 years old. And suddenly he can't remember how to do anything. And see, like, that's so crazy because he was still able to do the, the show. The radio show. Yes, that's the crazy. So part. it, like, speaks to what's ingrained in you mm-hmm. in terms of language and your cognitive abilities versus trying to actually recall that information mm-hmm. and having to think about it. Yeah, that's that to me that feels like he's like a performer and he just turns it on and goes and does whatever. And then as soon as it's he's not performing anymore he's dead to the world he's not doing well like it's rough so you were worried about him making it um but after five days awake it's 120 hours that's when peter started to hallucinate (laughs) 
So he started seeing things in his studio. And this is the part that always spoops me out. Mice and kittens would just like dart around on the floor. And he'd like jerk around and be like, what the fuck was that? And they'd be like, nothing, Peter. <laughs> Literally nothing. He became convinced that there were spiders in his shoes. He would see them crawling around between his laces and up around his feet. And he would take his shoes off and he would show them to the scientists and say, don't you see these spiders? There's spiders everywhere in my shoes. After a while, he stopped wearing shoes. <laughs> like he just wouldn't wear them. I mean, that's fair. I would, I would have set my shoes on fire. No, dude, for sure. I can't they probably would have gone through the glass window in front of me. wasn't as afraid of spiders as, like, many people we know are, as I am, as you are, because, like, he clearly kind of kept it together, but was yeah. still like, what the fuck? Why are there spiders in my yeah. shoe? Um, he would tell the scientists that he saw cobwebs on the faces of people that passed by, and that one man's suit um, looked like fuzzy worms. <laughs> it's like the one quote I could find was just Oh, fuzzy my worms. God. <laughs> Poor Peter. <laughs> At one point, Peter left the booth to go to the nearby Hotel Aster, um, oh. where he would clean up and change his clothes. That's all he was ever allowed to do there. He never slept. I can't imagine walking into a hotel room and seeing a bed and not being able to go lie down. But anyway, he was just getting cleaned up, changing his clothes for the day. He opens the drawer where his clothing is, and it looks like it's on fire. And he, of course has his own little freak out. There's a scientist with him and they're all just sort of like, it's okay, Peter, let's, let's just go back to the booth. It's okay. Sitting in the booth at another point, Peter looked up at one of the scientists who was there to watch him and became convinced that this man was an undertaker come to take him away. He got so scared that he screamed and ran out of the booth into Times Square traffic and he had to be dragged back inside. Oh, my God. Like, at this point, this is cruel as fuck. Like, yeah. I mean, I, don't, I think what they thought was... P Peter was never like, uh, just make it stop. You know, like, he was never like that. So they didn't feel like this has to end right now. But that part freaks me out a lot. That's also, pretty Also, like, at what point is he no longer able to consent right. to this? Mm -hmm. Not a damn clue, honestly. Because it gets worse. Uh, of course it does. Uh huh. Because that was only 120 hours. Yeah, right. He's got 80 He's got 80 suckers. more to go. Yeah. He's got two work weeks left of hours to go. <laughs> um, so the scientists, after being like, hey, he's hallucinating, and it's on a semi regular schedule. Y'all notice that? So they hook him up to a machine to read his brain waves, and they notice that at regular 90 minute intervals, Peter's brain would begin a REM cycle, at least what looks like a REM cycle on his brainwaves. He is awake, but he is dreaming. So the hallucinations he sees are what he would be seeing in a dream if he were allowed to be asleep. And he's doing that all the time. Like, his brain is never not doing that now. It's shutting down. Um, I didn't read this anywhere, but I distinctly remember this from my class, that we talked about micro naps. Yep. That he would start taking them for seconds at a time just with his eyes fucking open taking that micro naps realizing where he is being awake again falling back asleep eyes totally open people watching him but sleeping so his brain is doing whatever it can to get whatever sleep is available and i'm sure that the micro naps did not help with the hallucinations <laughs> no 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 by day six with 66 hours left to go in the experiment, 
slash publicity stunt. The scientists started administering stimulants regularly in order to keep Peter awake because there was no other way to fucking do it. Yeah. It seems healthy. Yeah. It's like, y'all should have called it. Okay. (laughs) Fine. Fine. We're doing this. It was around this time that Peter started staring at a clock on the wall in his booth. In the clock, Peter was convinced he could see the face of one of his friends. He would talk to it and watch it for long periods. And when questioned, Peter started to become confused as to whether he was Peter Tripp or the friend in the clock was Peter Tripp. So that's good. (laughs) It's a really good sign. It's a really super good sign. As the 200-hour mark approached, scientists hooked Peter up uh, to observe his brainwave patterns again, and they found that they had slowed entirely until it looked like he was asleep the whole fucking time. They believed that he had entered an altered state of consciousness somewhere between waking and sleeping. He was never asleep, but he was never awake. He was there looking at them, talking to them, answering their questions, and yet his brain was mostly asleep. The hallucinations didn't stop. And he told the researchers at one point that everyone believed he was Peter Tripp, but he wasn't. He was an imposter, and nobody knew. (laughs) So... (laughs) So Peter's fine, everyone. Peter's doing fine. He's not sure who he is anymore, but he's fine. (laughs) Keep it going, guys, I guess. Just keep it going. Well, I mean, they've made it that far at this point. That's actually... Just fucking finish it. It's like literally what they said. He gets to a point of paranoia and delusion. Yeah. Where he starts to believe that every scientist is in on a plot to send him to jail for some unknown crime. And he's yelling at them about it. He won't stop questioning them about the crime, about who he is, about who the guy in the clock is. <laughs> like, it's, he, they, the people in the video were like, it's really hard to just like watch a man go crazy in front of you. Cause that's what he was doing. He was an able-bodied, able-minded man who just went crazy in eight days in front of us. On the final night of the experiment, the scientists on duty thought seriously about pulling the plug. They really did. Which... Okay. But they did, according to them. One of them did say that at that point, like, we were pulling for him to make it through. Like, he was so close. Like, he had, you know, 12, 10, 8, 6 hours left. And if he could just do this, it would be all over. And he would have done the thing he set out to do, which at this point, oh my god, who cares? But whatever. And I will tell you, Peter succeeded in staying awake. For 201 hours. 201. I don't know why the one. I don't know if they just couldn't get him out of the booth. Or Or they gave him so many stimulants. He literally just was like, I'm awake for a while. It took that much time for them to wear off so he could actually sleep. Yes, maybe. And then did he sleep for four days? So the aftermath of this experiment is up for debate in a lot of ways. I tried to do my best here. I found that some reports said that Peter immediately slept for 13 hours following the ordeal. (laughs) Others, I read, said he slept for a full 24. (laughs) I would believe either, I guess. Um, Although I have slept for 13 hours, and I 
wasn't awake for eight days. So I'm not really sure that that one doesn't seem like enough to me, but fine. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone said that when he awoke, he was mostly himself. He was smiling. He was no longer paranoid. There were no more delusions. One thing I read did say that the thought that he was not himself stuck with him for a while. But that is sort of hard to corroborate. There's not a lot of firsthand stuff from Peter, unfortunately. I mean, also, once you hit that point mentally, it takes some time to piece yourself back together. You're probably at least going to remember that you felt that way. Yeah. And that's going to freak you out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Make you question some stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like whether or not this was a good idea. Yeah. Um. Peter. 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 Nobody. Nobody ever asked. Nobody got Peter on the phone to ask if he thought this was a good idea. Just saying. I wish. <laughs> the, I wish I had some quotes. I super don't. So within the next couple of years, Peter's life changed a lot. Oh. And some would argue that this is due to the sleeping experiment having a permanent effect on his personality. That is actually what we talked about in AP Psych. I will say that. Like, we talked about that, but then the more research I did for this podcast, the more I was like, eh, debatable, actually. We'll see what you think. First off, Peter lost his job. Which, but, here's the thing. Peter, along with many other DJs at the time, was outed for what was, uh, what was called a payola scandal. Oh, which is uh, DJs will only play songs or will give more time to songs from record companies that have given them gifts. <laughs> Peter himself accepted over $15,000 in bribes. Holy shit, in 1950. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And he, I mean, he denied it, but it's like, nah, dude, it's right there. Nah, we saw dude, it. that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And he was found out. And that's just going to say probably why he was fired. <laughs> probably not the fact that he changed completely. Also, um, like, the fact that he wanted to stay up for 200 hours, mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. speak well to his decision-making. There was one thing I read that said, like, Peter had made a name for himself, but he wanted to be, like, some of the really big DJs at the time who had transitioned even to television. Like, they were they were now personalities known for entertainment, not just some DJ, you know? He wanted that, and this was part of that. So... Peter was who Peter was before this. Yeah. And um, what he did before this sleep experiment definitely affected what happened to him after. Um, it's also interesting that he was so worried that the scientists were going to out him for some kind of crime and put him in jail. When the payola scandal was something he'd already been a part of before yeah. the sleep experiment. So yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe he was guilty about that. Yeah. Maybe he was worried he was someone was going to see through him. Around that same time, Peter's wife divorced him. Mm. Though no one can say exactly why. Um, Was it that he never fully recovered from the sleep deprivation? Or was it maybe that he was a lying criminal? (laughs) 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 Or a little bit of both. Like, who knows? Hard to say. Mm. Peter eventually moved to California and eventually made his way back to radio. He married four times. And all of them ended in divorce. So that's an interesting little tidbit. Huh. Those close to him believed that he was never exactly the same. He was a little meaner, a little more sullen. He never really fully regained the sort of bright personality he had before that. But who knows? There's a lot of bias there. Yeah. Peter held the world record for the longest time without sleep until... No. 
until oh, fuck. 1967, when a 17-year-old boy named Randy Gardner stayed awake for 11 straight days for a science fair experiment. Hey, Randy, what the fuck? Peter died of a stroke in 1973. <laughs> and Randy's still around, I think. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's like, ooh. I did a weird science experiment. <laughs> but it wasn't that. That is so dangerous. And he really did think through it, too, because I read about Randy. He doesn't have enough to, like, do his own separate thing. But he was just like... I like science. I want to win the science fair. I'm going to stay awake for longer than anyone ever has by several days. And so he stayed awake for 11 days. He had two people watching him at all times. They would go in shifts. And then eventually that guy I mentioned in the beginning who was like famous for like sleep studies, William Dement, he came to Randy's house and would watch him and drive him and his friends around to go like do what they needed to do. Because he wanted this kid to, like, succeed in this. And he did. And also, he didn't need any stimulants. He just stayed up. Well, he's 17. I mean, he's seven fucking teen. How much did he masturbate? Exactly. And you, uh, I think masturbation might make him sleepy. <laughs> it does that with a lot he's of He's 17. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, poor Peter. He went through all that. And he may never have been the same. And he didn't even keep his title for that long. In the span of, like... 13 years, he married and divorced mm -hmm. four more, four times or three more times. Yeah. Cause I'm, yeah, he died in 1973. Yeah. So he went through those real quick. Yeah. He was, a. Uh, he had something wrong with him. Whether yeah. it was wrong before or after, it's hard to say, but he had something wrong with him. <laughs> so that is the story of Peter Tripp. I love that story. I think about it all God, the time. What the fuck? We talked about him in conjunction with the guy who had the ice pick through his brain and it changed oh, his yeah. personality. Yeah. yeah. We talked about him. Oh, yeah. I also took AP Psych. Yes. Mm. That, that was one of my favorite classes, mm -hmm. honestly. He was super yeah. good. Yeah. But this, like, kind of made me rethink. Like, I was like, some of the stuff that we talked about in that class was wrong. Like, or at least it was sort of trumped up for the purposes right, of Right, but, like, discussion. also it's so weird with psychology of what we would have talked about mm -hmm. then has changed so much now. Right. Like if you look at borderline personality disorders, Oh, for sure. What we knew then versus everything now where mm -hmm. it's no longer called borderline personality disorders, it's dissociative. Right. And well, people still say borderline. Yeah. But like, yeah, but it's not... like in actual recognized scientific communities. Right. It is now you have a dissociative disorder. Interesting. And, like, just the shit that everyone knows about that now is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's still so much we don't know oh, God, about yeah. how people's brains work under any circumstances. So much of the really. brain is still unexplored. For sure. But Lord knows we know more about it now than we did in 1959. So Yeah, we do. Woof. Jeez. What a time to attempt that, honestly. Because if you've been fucked up, ain't nobody going to help fix you. Nobody can fix you. We don't know enough. Time for a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't a woman. He wouldn't have been put in an asylum that easy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. I'm stoked about hearing what uh, what weird spoopy thing you got. 
Okay. Yeah. I am going to talk about a poltergeist. Oh. Like a, a ghost, but worse? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, like an angry ghost. Yeah. They're mean boys, right? They're very mean boys. Oh, no. Okay. This is Esther Cox and the Great Amherst Mystery. Oh, shit. Before we dive into that, if you want to hear our personal experiences, we just recorded an episode on topics and tangents. Yes, with our friend Kate. Yes. And we talked about our own experiences with ghosts and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. Yes, it was cool. As I hit my mic. <laughs> and uh, also my own experience with a poltergeist. Yeah. From creepy. my teenage years. Super creepy. All right. So Esther Cox. Hi, Esther. Lived in Amherst, Nova Scotia. Ooh. Nova Scotia? It's 1878. Is it now? It is. And we're on Princess Street. Oh, cute. In Amherst, which is uh, in the north central part of Nova Scotia, where it borders with New Brunswick. Esther is 19 years old and lives in a small rented house with her married older sister. She's just going to be like, not alone, right? <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. Good. This is fucking 1878. Right? <laughs> no one you lived can't alone. Be unmarried and alone. No. <laughs> so she lived with her married sister, Olive. Hi, Olive. Olive's husband, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Their two young children. And then Esther's other siblings, Jeannie and William. As well as Daniel's brother, John. That's a, that's a lot of people in a house, my dudes. Plus. Oh, no. Sometimes they took in boarders to help with the rent. Oh, I'm sorry. The rent was too much. Okay. Yes. It sounds like there are four adults in that damn place at least. But, like, we can't afford it. <laughs> Is this a... You said this was a house? Yeah. So it's not like a flat. No. It's like... It's like a little house. Okay. It's like a little cottage. Thank God. I'm sure they're still just packed in there like sardines. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. If you kind of think of, like tenements in new york sure where you put like nine people in a one bedroom here's our bedroom five <sighs> people to a bed three on the floor yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no good the children sleep in the cupboard right we open a drawer in the dresser for them yes there's a pillow in there one of them lives under the sink that's actually that one's the ghost oops <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> so when Esther was 18, she had a horrible experience. And as we said, usually poltergeists are formed from strong emotions. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of debate on that. And we well, can, sure. I mean, it's something that goes bump the night. So everybody has an opinion about it on how right. it's formed. But they're but different for than this, ghosts, like regular ones. Right now, mm -hmm. it's usually either formed or drawn or fed by a strong emotion. And she was almost raped. Oh, no. By someone that she knew oh. named Bob McNeil. Fuck you, Bob. Who was a shoemaker with a, quote, disdainful reputation. 
Oh, so he was a rapist. But <laughs> Esther wasn't aware of said disdainful reputation. Oh, no. So she did manage to escape. But it was traumatizing. Oh, and Esther. it seemed that the violence against her opened a door to the paranormal. Because she's sort of upset. Yes. And fraught. Yes. Okay. So, like I said, even though the house was hella crowded, mm -hmm. they sometimes took in boarders to help Oof. pay the rent. Woof. One of those boarders was named Walter Hubble. Walter, I swear to God. Who was a sometime actor. Okay. Well, but I'll... not an all-the-time actor. Well, yeah, no one's an all-the-time actor. <laughs> <laughs> and he was boarding at the Teed residence. That was Olive's husband's last name. Oh, okay. Um, so he was at the house when all of the supernatural stuff started happening. Mm -hmm. And he started making notes. Eventually, that would turn into a book. Smart. Called The Great Amherst Mystery. Mm. Listen, he saw money. Sure. And he took advantage. But also, somebody has to document these things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 1878. Ain't nobody yeah. got video cameras. Right. So, it, like, writing is really all we have. Yep. You could have a dude take the world's longest exposure picture <laughs> of a ghost that is no longer there. Might yeah. have been there when you started taking the picture. <laughs> so, one night... There was screaming. Uh, and it woke everybody up. Oh, no. And they all rushed to Esther and Jeannie's room. Because they shared a bed. Sure they did. Yep. So the girls had seen something moving under the covers as they were about to go to sleep. Oh, God. Creepy. Esther thought it was a mouse. Which rationally makes sense. Fair. And they tore the bed apart. They searched the room. Couldn't find anything. So they went to bed. Everyone went back to their beds. And everything was quiet for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, the following night, they were screaming again. Oh, shit. This time, they claimed that they had heard strange noises coming from a box of fabric scraps that they kept under the bed. This really sounds like a mouse so far. Yeah. I mean... Well, here's the thing. They pulled the box out to the center of the room. Mm -hmm. It leapt up into the air on its own and landed no. on its side. No. In no. front of God and everybody? In front of God and everyone. So the girls tried to write the box back to being its normal way. Mm -hmm. And it immediately... Jumped into the air again. Everybody screamed. The ghost's like, no, I want it like this. No, I want it on its side. <laughs> this is why I put it. This is how I want it. Jeez. So, up to this point, they're like, all right. The girls are emotional. They have very active imaginations. Oh, oh obviously, I'm sorry. The women are emotional. Esther is still very upset because of Bob. The shoemaker. Are they all aware that this happened to her? Yes. That's sad. I mean, like, it's good, probably, so they can be yes. nice to her about it, but, like... Well, they're not really being that nice. They're yeah. basically calling her hysterical. Well, that's true, but um, that's but as nice as things got, I think, for women. The third night... No. That all changed. Because that night, Esther wasn't feeling well. 
She excused herself early, saying that she was feeling feverish. Okay. At about 10 p.m., I'm sorry, Jenny. I keep saying Jeannie, but Jenny. Her bedmate? Yes, her sister. Joined her. Esther jumped up from the bed, went into the center of the room, tearing at her clothes and screaming, my God, what is happening to me? I'm dying. Oh, my God. Jenny lit a lamp. She sounds like just she's got very it like, all right. Okay, Esther. I'm just dying. Okay, let's just. One um, quick moment, hold on. Esther. <laughs> oh, shit, the match broke. Fuck. Hold okay, on, hold one... on. Okay, hold on, hold on. All right. Okay, okay, there we There's go. not wait, enough oh. kerosene in this lamp. Ooh, okay, I have to go night. downstairs. <laughs> Esther, if you could just wait a moment. <laughs> so Jenny lit a lamp, mm-hmm. looked at her sister, and was like, oh shit. Esther's skin was bright red and Ugh. seemed to be swelling Ugh. unnaturally. Um, I'm sorry, is she the blueberry girl? Kind of, but like a strawberry. Okay. Well... With all the screaming, mm-hmm. their older sister, Olive, came rushing into the room and helped Jenny get Esther back into bed because now she was also choking and struggling to breathe. Oh, no. The other adults watched kind of just like, oh, fuck. Right. Because there was nothing they could do. She was hot to the touch. She continued to swell. And she, her skin continued to redden. Oh, God. Her eyes started to bulge. Oh. She started crying in pain. What the fuck would he Because be she happening? was scared that she would, like, literally going to burst through her skin. Mm-hmm. Because, like, skin is, like, pretty flexible. Sure. I mean... Usually over periods of time, though. Yes. <laughs> Your epidermis is, like, a whole organ. And it's, mm-hmm. it's got some flexibility. It's got some give. But yeah. not that much. Yeah. Not that fast. Also, pop with what? What's happening on the inside? <laughs> I feel like she's being, like, like somebody Blown stuck up. a bicycle yeah. pump into yeah. her butt. And <laughs> it just sounds actually like because she's choking that she's swelling, but literally everywhere. She's got, like, yeah. like an allergic reaction to everywhere. Everything. Yeah. So they're all freaking out. They don't know how to help her. And then suddenly from beneath Esther's bed came a deafening bang. No. Like a clap of thunder. No, bitch. And it literally shook the room. No, bitch. There were three more loud bangs from under the bed, after which Esther's swelling subsided and she fell into a very fucking deep sleep. Because oh, that had to be exhausting uh-huh. and terrifying. Uh huh. You literally just pass out because you can't even handle yeah. being up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, coming down from a fever that fast is going to make you real tired. Sure. The poltergeist gives her a little bit of time. Oh, isn't that kind of him? He lets her recover for a couple of days. Four nights, specifically. Four whole nights. So four nights later, everything repeated itself. What? The unexplained swelling and choking and the fever only ended again with the thunderous bangs under the bed. What the fuck? With no idea how to deal with this, Daniel 
one of our good, good adult husband. Right. Asked one of the local doctors, Dr. Karit, to come and check out Esther. Bring some sage with you, dude. Well, he didn't bring sage. (laughs) But he did bring his own eyeballs. Hey, what? Because he also was a witness to some of this shit happening. (laughs) I was like, okay, all right. He keeps them in a bag. Okay, so... (laughs) He's blind. He gouged out his own eyeballs. He keeps them in a jar. Mm-hmm. But he does bring them wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. So he was sitting at her bedside, mm-hmm. monitoring her vitals, however they did, in 1878. Yeah, so mainly no probably clue. just holding her wrist. Counting. Counting. Yeah, the pulse. With of, a yeah. weird 19th century stethoscope. <laughs> yep, that's a heartbeat, all right. Yep. Oh, hey, look at that. Can't it's really, going fast. Can't really tell anything else, Arr. but uh, there it is. Yeah. So he watched her pillow move beneath her head Mm-mm. with no one touching it. Knobbitch. And then he got to hear the loud bangs from underneath the bed. Hmm. He looked underneath the bed, could not find a source for it. Looked all over. They were like, okay, there's got to be a logical. They couldn't find it. He also saw her nightgowns being thrown around the room by unseen hands. And then he heard a scratching noise. Like scratching into the plaster in the wall above Esther's bed. And it uh, wrote out a nice heartwarming little message for everyone oh god (laughs) what the fuck does it say esther cox you are mine to kill okay all right little on the nose there huh bud a jagged clump of plaster then tore off the wall flew across the room and landed at the doctor's feet that's the best he could do it's fine. Listen, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. He used up to all spell his energy words. moving that pillow. Also, writing in 1878 wasn't the most, like, <laughs> common thing. True. So, Dr. Kareet left. But he does come back, which is kind of impressive. Because he, Cause he, he could have just like, fucking peace. I'm literally never coming into this house or this town again. I'm leaving. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> so... He comes back the next day and gets to see more shit. Oh, good for him. Potatoes were being thrown around the room. Oh, potatoes now. Good. Yep. Like a whole potato? <laughs> like a whole potato. Why was it in there? <laughs> Did it take it from the kitchen to throw it around her room? You <laughs> see one Just, potato you know, chucking the potato. The yeah. It's, like, it's rolling up the stairs. Yeah, what the fuck? It takes three hours to yes, get there. Yes, but eventually, oh boy, does that oh, potato scare oh, the shit oh, out of oh, everybody. Oh. <laughs> Hope you're hungry. <laughs> so, we have the potato. And they say potatoes. So, like, plural okay, potatoes. Okay, multiple potato situation. Okay. <laughs> and the deafening noises now seemed to be coming from the roof of the house. Yet... When the doctor went to go look, he couldn't find anything. So he he did actually, like, write to a colleague about this years later. 
And a quote from the doctor is, Honestly, skeptical persons were on all occasions soon convinced that there was no fraud or deception in the case. Were I to publish the case in the medical journals, as you suggest, I doubt it if, it if it would be believed by physicians generally. I am certain I could not have been believed, I could not have believed such apparent miracles had I not witnessed them. Woof. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. So there's nothing really anyone can do to help Esther. Really? So... <laughs> The haunting continues. Okay. More shit happens. But like, okay, um, this is the 1870s or whatever. Yeah. People still do believe in that enough, right? To like, someone's got to be like, like also to them. get an exorcism approved by the Catholic Church. It's like a whole fucking thing. Are they even cat? Fuck that. Like, go I don't get- think they're even Catholic. Go I mean, get that's the, the weird- first step. Yeah. Of getting the exorcism. If you have to be Catholic. <laughs> you do have to swear allegiance to the Pope. Now or have someone who is Catholic that's willing to help you and file on your behalf. But aren't there any weird soothsayer ladies? Like, some They cost money. Ugh, you're right. They're poor as shit. Yeah. So, the ghost starts setting fires around the house. Oh, good. Knives and forks are being thrown and sticking, apparently, violently into woodwork. That's just rude. Lit matches were materializing out of thin air and being dropped onto beds. Oh, God. <laughs> Fuck. Furniture was moving around by itself, flipping over and slamming into walls. Loud slaps were heard, followed by the appearance of red finger marks on Esther's face. Sewing pins. <laughs> Sorry. This motherfucker's just slapping her. Yeah. Just hitting her, just open hand. <laughs> that isn't even the worst of it. Ugh. Sewing pins were appearing from nowhere and being jabbed into Esther's face. Ah! A pocket knife was ripped out of the hand of a neighborhood boy and stabbed into Esther's back. Like this fucking ghost. Like this fucking ghost. But until you said that, needs to calm down. I was think I've been thinking two things simultaneously, and they're fucking with me. One. This is an incredibly powerful poltergeist. Usually not all of that shit is happening. You yeah. know, like that's a lot of shit. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff for it to have the energy to do. Yeah. Second though, it has announced in writing that its goal is to <laughs> kill her. And so far it's moving furniture. It's throwing potatoes. It's slapping her across the face. It's poking her with needles. Like, yeah, take that bitch. Like that's not killing her. <laughs> That is so far from killing her. It is hysterical. It's like a tiny person. It's like Thumbelina decided she was going to kill your ass, and it's taking her three years to do so. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so but that last one with yeah, the stabbing. That one, that one actually like could do some damage. It's a little more serious. <laughs> so Esther tries several times to get away from the poltergeist. Mm-hmm. She moves out of the house. Oh, sure. Like, she's Good. fucking going. Good. But it follows her. Yeah, because they do that, don't they? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's attached to a house. Sometimes it's atta- attached to a piece of furniture. Sometimes it lives inside a doll. And sometimes it lives in you. Hela. Hela Lamela. <laughs> it lives in you. 
It lives in me. It stabs me in the in the back. You see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So one Sunday, uh-huh. Esther decides to attend a Baptist church. Sits in one of the <laughs> rear pews. Once the service begins, knocking and rapping echoes throughout the church. Oh my God! Seeming to come from the front of the church. Now mm-hmm. she's in one of the back pews. Mm-hmm. The noises get louder and louder, eventually drowning out the minister's sermon. Oh my God! Knowing it's her fault, <laughs> she fucking gets up and walks out, and the noises stop. What? Now, who is there to document this? So, that I don't know. That's just, like, an account. I mean, the whole church. I mean, right. But I'm wondering, <laughs> like, did somebody go home and go, dear diary? Well, remember she that got weird. the guy wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So, okay. he, he also gets in touch. Like, he gets in touch with Esther after because she comes back. And they can kind of catalog this and he can get accounts because he has affidavits signed by people for the book. Woof. Okay. So, like... He did he did some And also research. it's like at this point the debate I have in my mind is is this actually a poltergeist or is this a demon? Sure. Because again this it's is a very, very fucking powerful. Yeah. Like it it followed her to a church. Yeah. Clearly has uh, the ability to affect the church, mm-hmm. which you're not really supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so it's January of 1879. Mm-hmm. Esther moves in with another local family. But lucky family. <laughs> yeah. Shit still seems to happen. Some people um, start kind of paying attention and witnessing this all happening and have conversations with the ghosts with questions with wrapped answers. So like knock one for yes, knock two for no. Interesting. Some were curious and sympathetic. Others were not quite and a little more hostile about it. Cause you know, this is God fearing times. If she'd been pulling this in the 1600s, she probably would have been burned at the stake. Oh, my God, for sure. Yeah. Thank God it's the 1870s. No one's ever said that before. (laughs) (laughs) So Esther was frequently slapped still. Pricked and scratched by the ghost. Fuck that guy. Yep. So everything kept getting worse. News got around. And in late March, Esther spent some time in St. John, New Brunswick. Where, quote, she was investigated by some local gentleman with an interest in science. Are you that haunted bitch? (laughs) We heard about you. So by now, there are several distinct spirits, apparently. What? She's just drawing more? Yeah. And they're communicating with the onlookers via knocks and raps. Bob Nickel is the name of the original, apparently, ghost. Uh, his name who, is also Bob. That his sucks. name is also Bob, who claimed to have been a shoemaker. Shut in life. the fuck up. Another identified himself as Peter Cox, who was a relative of Esther's, and Maggie Fisher. Are any of these good guy ghosts? 
I don't know. They don't a go into A relative it. of hers is being a dink? Maybe. Oh, my God. So after the visit to St. John, Esther spent some time with the Van Ombergs, who were friends with a peaceful farm. And then eventually she returned to the Teed's cottage. I'm sure they Whereupon were everything happened all over again. Uh-huh. Um, Walter Hubble came back. Surround, like, really interested in the publicity. Sure. And spent more weeks with Esther and her family. And like I said, he saw a lot of shit. <laughs> so, Walter decides it'd be a really good idea to take Esther out on a speaking tour. What? This bitch is in to, the middle of some shit. Yeah. To attract audiences who would pay to see her and hear her story. It didn't go well. <laughs> what? I know this is such a surprise. You don't say. But it didn't it didn't go well. I can't imagine. There were hostile reactions to her, including a heckler that then like a fight broke out. At that show. What the fuck? And they stopped trying so just, to. It just, it didn't go well. This is people who don't believe her? Yeah. Okay. Fucking so a. she goes back to Olive's house. The Teed's landlord is now aware of what's going on and wants to evict the entire family because of the destructive nature of what's happening. Hmm. She again takes responsibility for what's happening, moves herself out, oh. and finds work at a nearby farm for a man named D- um, Arthur Davison. It does not go well. Oh no, so many things aren't going well, Emily. <laughs> She's working one night, mm-hmm. and a fire breaks out in the barn. And it burns the barn down. Oh, no. He accuses her of arson. She was arrested. Oh, no. And convicted. Oh, no. And sentenced to four months in prison. Wow, four months for arson. Interesting. I mean, it's 1879 and she's a woman. Yeah. She um, She only serves one of those months. Okay. Good for her. Upside of prison. <laughs> no ghost? No ghost. I bet she was the like, The paranormal just let me. activity calms down. Just let me stay. She let me has stay in prison. <laughs> a few more minor instances, but then it stops completely. She then got married twice. Yeah, girl, get it. Had a son with each husband. Yeah, girl, get it. Moved to Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah, girl, get it! I don't know why I'm saying this anymore. <laughs> with her second husband. Uh-huh. And died on November 8th, 1912, at the age of 52. Wow. So, like, it just... She goes to prison. Yeah. And maybe she just got, you know, really jacked. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like she went to prison... And one of the prison ghosts was like, hey, bitch, 
the fuck is following you? Uh Uh-uh. You ain't welcome in this place. (laughs) So even the ghosts are harder and stronger and scarier in prison. Sure. 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 It, like, beat the ever-loving shit out of a demon. Just like, hey, no, you go away now. Yeah. Okay, bye. (laughs) I could almost, I wonder if, you know, like, if these things form out of being unhappy, how much, it's how much power you give them, really. How, how afraid you are and worried and scared and, and, and unhappy in general you are. Yeah. Makes them stronger. She goes to prison. She's like, it literally can't get worse. So yeah. I hit this. rock bottom, y'all. Uh-huh. I went to prison for a fire I didn't start because a ghost has been following me. You know what? This is funny at this point. Mm-hmm. This is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the ghost was like, oh, no, all my power. Ooh! I'm weakening. She's getting a sense of humor about life. <laughs> All right, so Walter Hubble published his book, The Great Amherst Mystery, Mm. after her death, and it included an affidavit signed by 16 witnesses of the horrific events at Amherst. Jesus Christ. That's a lot. Yes. That has to make it one of the more well-documented ghost stories ever. Yeah. Yeah. It had mixed reviews <laughs> <laughs> you're shocking me right now and sparked a lot of other events investigations and uh see and this is the weird part because it's like they're saying it was published after her death but like the year they're giving on when it was published doesn't line up so I'm not sure. Hmm. Everything's a little fishy in the 1800s. Yeah, that's how it be. Now, here is the weird thing. And this is what makes me think demon rather than poltergeist. Okay. It has been suggested that certain aspects of what happened at the Borley Rectory, which is sometimes called the most haunted house in England... Maybe linked to the Amherst case, which remember is in Canada. Yeah. Why and how the and for why? Experiences of the Foister family in the early 1930s, in particular, the claims that they had about writing appearing mysteriously on the wall that resembled events in the Teed household. Reverend Foister had previously lived in Sackville, New Brunswick. Oh. And may have been aware of what was going on with Esther Cox. And who knows, he may have even stopped in to see it. And that somehow ties them together. Huh. So he's there in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He moves over to England. To England. In the 1930s, something start ha- starts happening to his family. Yeah. That is very similar. Because remember, she dies in 1912. Right. So there's just a demon that pops up every once in a while and is like, you, I will, I will torture you for yeah. a bit. Ooh, ooh I'm going to hop across go, the pond. Until you go to prison. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to go sightseeing for a few years. Right. And then I'll pop up somewhere else. I'll go to the Great Fair in Chicago. <laughs> and I'll find the saddest looking little girl. <laughs> I'll just attach myself to them for the next just 20 glom years. Glom on. <laughs> I'll go see H.H. H. Holmes. 
for a, a second. A demon could have straight up glommed onto him and it would have been chill. <laughs> yeah. Why is it always like decent people? I don't know. I guess Just like maybe up. some people would argue that some of these serial killers did have demons. Like Son of Sam. Yeah. Because like, like the one I wanted to do literally was about a serial killer whose daughters believed he was possessed. Ooh, yeah. And that's why he was doing what he did. Because it's from the new series on Netflix called Haunted. Oh, I just saw that. Pop yeah. Up. yeah. Yeah. It's the second episode and it's really fucking interesting and it like hits all of the bells for like a super spoopy story for sure. with a splash of a serial killer. Right. I did want to mention, since we're on Netflix things now, mm. that we are both huge fans of and do recommend um the haunting of hill house heck yeah yeah please watch it it's so good if you're looking for something it's, spooky to watch it's a slow start mm -hmm. it takes a few episodes to get into it mm -hmm. it's kind of like a ball rolling downhill yeah i was it, thinking of it like a puzzle because you end up seeing so many things like the like the same scenes over through different people's yeah. eyes so you're sort of putting together yeah. a puzzle so the you're first filling couple, in the story. Yeah. So the first couple episodes are like the they just put the first few puzzle pieces and you can't really see where the puzzle is going. So it's it's a little bit slow there. It's less compelling. But the more pieces you get, the more scenes you yeah. see, the the crazier and more awesome it gets. And like you see the scenes from different perspectives as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, it's and so it's, interesting. It kind of for me it reminded me of like building a house. Like you build the framework in the yeah. first couple episodes and then like suddenly you're starting to put up the walls and you're like getting the, into the nitty gritty details mm -hmm. and yeah, it just, it's, it's really good for sure. And it's not like just a ghost story. It's definitely a ghost story, but it's about people and like their personal relationships. Yeah. And because it's long form, it's a essentially a long form, scary movie. Yeah. It gives you time to get to know each individual character. It lets them have their own like moments that they're they kind spooky, of each, but they're like not... have an episode. Yeah, they do. And that's the best part. I yeah. love all the individual things. And, like, you get to see so many things that are sort of spooky but are not hauntings. It's other horrible things that happen to people um, in real life. Like, it's just there's so much to it that ends up really coming together in some really spooky shit. So if yeah. you're looking for some spooky shit with feels, we recommend that. Um, if you guys have anything you recommend for us to watch that's spoopy, we still got some time before it's Halloween and I'm still like feeling it deep in my soul and my core. Yeah. Um, so yeah, feel free to recommend, you know where to find us. Heck yeah. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, get there, do it. Hit us up. Yeah. But oh, like, don't open face, like open hand slap us like a ghost. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice don't. about it. Please Be don't nice do that. And also, um. Don't forget your can of blood. Okay, I hated that. Don't forget your can of water. <laughs> we might not make it to Christmas. <laughs> 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 <laughs>